Friends, needy children all across Beaver County, Pennsylvania, are about to have a very special Christmas thanks to two anonymous givers who stepped up with large monetary gifts totaling more than $15,000. I wonder perhaps if some of you saw these two news stories that were circulating around of Pennsylvania's news websites this past week of these immense gifts that came into the annual Give a Christmas program. This takes place every year in Beaver County. That's just a little northwest of Pittsburgh. This is a special partnership that happens each Christmas season between the Times newspaper there and the Salvation Army. Now this year, the organizers of the Give a Christmas charity set a goal for themselves of raising $55,000. All of those dollars are used to help needy families, families who will apply for special help. They need assistance, especially at Christmas time, to put on a Christmas for their children, whether that's related to, to Christmas meals or clothing or even Christmas presents under the tree. Well, when the news began to spread throughout the, the region there of Beaver Falls that the donations coming in were a little low and donations seemed to be coming in a little slow, two anonymous givers with extremely big hearts decided to step up and display their own Christmas spirit. Two weeks ago, an anonymous giver showed up at the Salvation Army door with a check for $5,500 that was made to the Christmas program. With a gift that large, of course, the charity organizers nearly fell off their seats. They nearly went into shock. But friends, if that first check wasn't enough, this past Monday, a second anonymous donor walked through the door with a check for $10,000. And that was the biggest check ever received in the history of this Pennsylvania charity. Now, while many people are amazed at those kinds of dollar numbers, family, what is truly amazing is the fact that both of these givers are Beaver County local people. This is a county that is very much known for middle-class, blue-collar residents. And yet, both of these givers insisted that their Christmas contributions remain 100% anonymous. Christian friends, we're going to put the final touches on our sermon series, Blue Collar Christmas. And we're going to do it today in Luke chapter 2. And you and I are going to look in Luke 2 today, friends, to discover the accomplishments of some more blue collar people. Some ordinary people who contributed in extraordinary ways to the great Christmas story of the coming of Jesus Christ. And friends, what's so amazing about this story in Luke chapter 2 is the way that these people, these blue-collar, ordinary people, to this day remain 100% anonymous. Because the Bible never tells us even one of the names of any of these shepherds. Friends, I want you to open with me to Luke chapter 2 today, and we're going to take a deeper look at these shepherds who played such a powerful part on the night that Jesus, our Savior, was born. Now, friends, knowing as we do, knowing the truth that we do, that, that Jesus is the sovereign Son of God, that He's the Savior, that He's the true King, isn't it true that we would expect? Wouldn't someone expect that the birth announcement of Jesus 
would be given to the most powerful, the most prestigious people in the most expensive palaces, in the, in the royal halls where all the royal majesties and the nobles and the mighty make their living. How many kings throughout human history had their births announced with trumpets and, and orchestral music and, and royal speeches given from castles? And yet, friends, here is the Lord Jesus, the Lord, the King. And yet God decided to announce His birth through working class shepherds. Shepherds out pulling a night shift out on the hillsides near Bethlehem. Dear friends, you and I are going to dig into this famous Christmas narrative. And we're going to uncover today, friends, some really encouraging truths some really amazing truths from the shepherds and their participation in, in, in God's salvation story. But we want to ask a couple of questions. What lessons can we learn? What relevant lessons can you and I learn from these shepherds' experience? What can we apply from them to our lives here in the present? What can we learn from these humble shepherds about the ways and the means that God often chooses to work well, friends, we're going to consider today from God's Word here in Luke chapter 2. I want us to look at three amazing truths today. Three amazing truths that are put on display by these blue-collar shepherds. If you're, if you're taking some notes there in your bulletin, uh, here's number one. I want, to, I want you to see this truth. Number one, the shepherds discovered the nearness of God. The shepherds discovered the nearness of God. Now, would you look with me here? We're in, we're in the New Testament. We're in the Gospel of Luke. And we're in chapter 2, so look for that bold number 2, uh, chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 8 and 9. I hope you'll follow along as I read. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." Now, friends, let's just say for a moment that you and I are out doing some of our Christmas shopping, and we're both walking through the mall, and we bump into each other, and walking with me is a friend. And I decide to introduce my friend to you, and I introduce my friend to you, and I say, this is Dr. Smith. He's a dentist here in the Hazleton area. Well, friends, based on your current understanding of American culture, you have just met Dr. Smith, the dentist, but based on our culture, you already know a whole lot about Dr. Smith. You would immediately know that as a dentist, he, of course, is an educated man. He's had advanced schooling. He's had advanced training. Uh, you would also probably know that because he's a dentist, he's considerably wealthy. He makes a very good living. He's not struggling for finances based on the uh, the vocation that he's chosen. And not only that, but because he's a doctor, of course, in today's American society, you would automatically know that he's a man who is respected. He is esteemed. He, ha he is appreciated. He has certain respectability in the United States since he's a doctor. Well, friends... If you and I are truly going to understand the magnitude of God reaching down and giving a message to shepherds, we need to pause for just a moment and make sure we understand who shepherds were. 
and how they were viewed in their current society. Now, friends, you and I are Americans, and we're here in 21st century America. You and I live in a very technological age. You all have a cell phone in your pocket. You all have computers at home. Our, our society is dominated by, by microchips uh, controlling everything. But go back to the time of Jesus, and this was a society that was very agrarian. That means agriculture. Everyone in the days of Jesus was into farming and agriculture. That was the dominating factor. Well, stepping into that culture, that agrarian society, shepherds were at the very bottom of the food chain. In those days, shepherds were the lowest, most menial workers in all of Israel. It took no high education to be a shepherd. It took no special training to be a shepherd. No real skills were required to babysit a bunch of sheep. And so shepherds were typically uneducated people, and they were also very poorly paid. In fact, shepherding was such a lowly task, it was so boring, it was such entry-level work that shepherding was most often done by children. Children did much of the shepherding. And you might remember this back in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, as well as the book of 1 Samuel. You might remember that Joseph was a shepherd as a young boy. Even David was a young shepherd boy. But friends, not only were shepherds looked down from a social perspective, shepherds were also very much disdained from a religious perspective. And I want to help you understand this. You see, shepherding was a seven-day-a-week kind of job. There, there were no days off when you're taking care of flocks. Shepherds worked a nonstop schedule, and that means they even worked on Saturdays, which for the Jewish community was the Sabbath. That was this day that Jewish people were supposed to take a day of rest, but not shepherds. They continued to work on Saturdays. It was a work day for them. And so the culture of that day viewed shepherds as rebels. They were Sabbath breakers. They were sinners. And in addition to that, just consider some of the work that shepherds did. They had much contact with dirty animals, manure, blood, even the occasional dead animal. And so in that culture those shepherds were viewed as ritually unclean. They were viewed as unclean. And so shepherds were banned. They were not allowed to come into the temple area to be able to worship God. They were not allowed to come and attend regular synagogue services. So friends, what I'm showing you is, is that over time, shepherds were ultimately viewed as outcasts. They were, they were uh, outsiders. They were the bottom feeders. They were the scum of society. They were unsavory people that nobody wanted to associate with. Friends, if you think about that, all of that truth gathered together, that really is quite sad if you think about it. Because if you just flip through the pages of the Old Testament, how many godly people in the Old Testament. How many influential characters in the Bible were shepherds? Shepherds. I mean, just flip through the pages of the Old Testament. I mentioned two already. Joseph. Joseph was a shepherd in his early years prior to him being raised up to become the prime minister of Egypt. 
And I mentioned David too. David was just a young shepherd boy before God ultimately raised him up to be the king over all Israel. But lest we forget, friends, Moses. Moses, the mighty lawgiver who received the Ten Commandments. Moses was at one stretch of his life a shepherd among the Midianites. And guess what? Even the father over all Israel, Father Abraham himself, was a man who kept sheep and livestock. Friends, when you think about how shepherds were viewed, how they were treated, how they were looked at in this portion of biblical history, it is shocking. It is shocking. It is almost scandalous that the Lord God of heaven would give this announcement in Luke 2, verses 8 and 9, that the Savior had come, the Messiah was finally here. This announcement is made to shepherds. Friends, this is stunning. Just work your way down, dear friend. Work your way down from the very top of the social ladder. And I want you to think with me of all the VIPs that God bypassed. Think of all the VIPs that God excluded from this special birth announcement of Christ. Think about the leader of the Roman Empire, the Caesar, Caesar Augustus. Skipped over. How about Herod the Great? Herod the Great was the ruler over all Judea. He was left out. So was the ruling council of Israel. It was a council. The highest council in all Israel was called the Sanhedrin. They were left out. So were the Pharisees. So were the Sadducees. So were all the priests. So were all the elders. All of the VIPs of Israel's national religion were excluded. None of the most esteemed rabbis were ever told. None of the noteworthy leaders of all the various synagogues were told. Friend, the fact that God Almighty delivered this message of the Savior, He delivered it to shepherds? To shepherds? For some people who were very self-righteous in Israel, this was an outrage. This was a scandal. This would be a disgrace. And yet, friends, here in this joyful moment, the shepherds discover one of the most glorious truths about God. One of the greatest truths about God is that God comes nearest to the humble and the lowly. God comes nearest to the humble and the lowly. Friend, nothing brings God more joy than accomplishing His mighty plans through the most humble of people. People that the world often casts aside. People that the world says are nothing, God uses them as something in His great plan. Look in your sermon notes this morning. I gave you two wonderful scriptures out of the New Testament. Look in your notes there. I gave you 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. The Bible says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in His presence. 
I like James chapter 2 also. In James 2 in the New Testament says this, Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? Dear friend, here's a great application for your life. You say, what's the significance of all this for my life, Pastor Ryan? Well, here it is, friends. Here's some powerful significance for you. You might feel like you don't matter too much in this world. You might feel like you don't matter. You might realize that you're not rich. You're not powerful. You're not popular. You're not influential. You hold no great titles. You are not esteemed in any way. No great accolades are attached to your name. And so by today's standards, by today's secular world, you're just Joe Public. You're just regular Joe or Jane Public. You're just a working class person. And society says you're just a number. You're just a part of the system. You're just this cog that keeps the American economy rolling. But friend, listen to me. Listen. The Bible says you are just the kind of man or woman that God is looking for. You are exactly the kind of person that God rejoices to use. You're the kind of man, you're the kind of woman that God rejoices to come near and to give remarkable privileges to that advance the person and the kingdom and the name and the fame of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Friend, you need to know this today. Time and again, God tells us He is not impressed by pedigrees or degrees. He's looking for knees that bow before Him. That's what impresses God. Not degrees and pedigrees, but knees that bow in service to Him. People whose minds and hearts are tender to His truth. People whose wills are inclined to do His work. People who are inclined to serve His interests rather than their own. You know, friends, you and I get so obsessed, don't we? We always get obsessed with the people at the top. We're always obsessed with the top. Every magazine that you see out there in the supermarket checkout lines is to fix your eyes on the people at the top. The celebrities, the athletes, the actors, the superstars. We're always fixing on the top. But friend, open the Bible and you see God works from the bottom. God works from the bottom. How do you build a building? With bricks laid at the bottom. How do you drink a drink? You sink the straw to the bottom. You see, that's where God does His work. Friend, I want to encourage you today. God is nearer than you think. God is nearer than you think. Just like He came near these ordinary blue-collar shepherds, just like He used them, so God can use you. He can come near to you. You might be just ordinary, but God can use you in extraordinary ways for the cause of Jesus in this world. Now, can we keep moving? Let me show you from this text. Here's a second Wonderful truth that just comes, it just comes pouring forth from these uh, shepherds and their experience here on the hillside. Here's number two, a second truth. The shepherds experienced the graciousness of God. Number two, the shepherds experienced the graciousness of God. Look with me again in, in your copy of God's Word here. And we're in Luke 2. 
Look at verse 10, and I'll read down to verse 14. And the angel said to them, said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, friends, we're going to take a look here a little deeper at this message, the message that the angel announced to the shepherds here in verses 10 to 12. But can I show you something here, friend? I wonder if you've ever spotted this before. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever noticed that the angel uses the word you three times? You, Y-O-U, that plural word you. It's used three times in this announcement. Now, friends, that's important. That's significant because, think about it, the angel could have kept this good news just very broad. I mean, this good news could have just been spoken like any typical public service announcement, right? Just something spoken to, 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 to anyone who might listen. But notice the angel makes this very personal for these shepherds. Very personal. He uses that plural word, you. He uses it three times. He says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And this will be the sign for you, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. You see, friends, you see what's happening here? These shepherds are not being asked to be messenger boys. They are not being asked to be the errand boys. Hey, you lowly guys, why don't you go deliver a message to the important people? They were not being asked to be messengers. They're not errand boys. They're not being asked to carry the news up to the offices of the people that really matter. No, the angel says, I bring this good news to you. To you. This good news applies to you. This is good news I'm giving to you. On this day, a Savior has been born for you. And this is the special sign that I'm telling you. You go. You can verify it. Go and see that baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying of all places in a manger. You can go. You go. Go see. Go verify. Friends, do you see how personal this is? you see how personalized this announcement is? The angel wants them to know this Savior is for you. You know, friends, how many of you have seen the viral video clips? I know you've seen them out on the internet. They've been everywhere the last couple of years, especially from the Oprah Winfrey show. This one clip is so famous. Audience members are there in the, uh, in the show taping of the Oprah Winfrey show. And, and these audience members lose their minds. I mean, they start jumping up and down and they start going crazy when Oprah decides that she's going to give every single person in the audience that day a brand new car. And, and these people find out, they get the, all get a little box and they open it and there inside is the little key, the key fob. And these people start going crazy. 
They're dancing in the aisles. They're jumping up and down. And Oprah has given every single one of them a brand new car. And Oprah's smiling. You go watch this clip on YouTube. She's laughing and she's smiling. And she says these famous words that everyone still talks about today. And you get a car. 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 Friends, you get a Savior. That's the, that's the personalized message that God is giving to these shepherds. Who's the Savior being sent for as we read verses 10 to 12? Is it the high and mighty? No. Is it the noble and the elite? No. It is, it is a Savior just for the upper class. Is it a Savior just for those one percenters? No, God says that His amazing grace is coming through Jesus and it's for all the people. It's for all the people. It's not just for the high class. It's for the working class too. The ordinary people, the blue-collar people, just like these shepherds, even the people who are on the lowest rungs of society's ladder. Friends, for so long, the religious elites of Jesus' day, they had corrupted God's laws, and they had added on a whole bunch of man-made traditions, a whole bunch of man-made rules that lifted God far out of the reach of regular, ordinary, working-class people. And regular people, in their own minds, they were being taught to believe that God was almost untouchable. They could never have a relationship with God. How would they ever have a connection with God? They're, They're too far down. He's too far high. They're too dirty. They're too sinful. They're too unclean. But then this announcement happens. And the truth rings out that the Savior has come. And the truth rings out that God's grace comes down even to the lowest people of that society. Even the shepherds heard the good news that this Savior is for you. Friends, a Savior has appeared. The Savior is accessible. The Savior is approachable. It's not just for the elite 1%. He is a Savior for all people. You know, friend, maybe you're listening to this message today and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe for years you've given gifts and you've attended parties and you've celebrated Christmas for years. But maybe you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Dear friend, I want you to know the truth. The truth is Christmas at its very core, it's not about parties and it's not about North Poles. Christmas is about good news of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. God sent the Savior we all needed. And without exception, we all need a Savior. All of us, the Bible says, all of us are sinners. We've all rejected God's truths. We've all gone our own way. We've all done our own thing. We all want to be the rulers of our lives, and the Bible calls that rebellion. We are all at the very core of who we are. We are rebels against God. Here's this amazing God who runs the universe, and we won't submit. We want to run our own lives. And you know what we call that? Rebellion. Cosmic rebellion. Cosmic rebellion against God, the ruler of the universe. And listen, we all understand how the justice system works. When you do crimes in the United States, the judge makes sure that justice is done. Right has to be done when wrong raises up its head. 
And dear friend, the Bible tells us the truth that because you and I have raised up our fists at God in rebellion, justice needs to be done. He is a good and holy, a just judge, and the punishment for our sin against Him is death. That's what the Bible says. You and I deserve a physical death, and we deserve a spiritual death that should last forever because we have rebelled against such a wonderful and good God. But friend, the good news, the good news of Christmas is that God sent our solution. God sent our solution in Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus, Jesus came in a cradle, but He didn't stay there for long. Jesus grew up. He became the man that we needed Him to be. And Jesus ultimately went from the cradle to the cross. And there on the cross, He took our sin upon Himself. You see, our sins deserved a death penalty. But we didn't carry out the death penalty. Jesus carried it out for us. He took our death penalty in order that we could be free. Friend, that's the timeline of Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. It starts with a wooden manger, but it ends at a wooden cross. And the whole story, the whole timeline, is about Jesus, the Savior. So friend, I would just plead with you to open your heart to Jesus Christ this Christmas. How do you do that? Well, you start by acknowledging your own sins. You acknowledge with a humble heart that you are broken, that you are a sinner, that you, you do need a Savior. And then you need to entrust yourself to Jesus. It's not just to know that Jesus is a Savior. You need to believe on Him as your Savior. The Bible calls you to trust in Him. Put your trust in Jesus. Not that you're trusting other Christian people around you, not that you're trusting, trusting a church, not that you're trusting religion or your own goodness. No, you're trusting Jesus. You entrust yourself to Him, that what He did is sufficient to take away your sins and, and to give you eternal life. Friend, that's what being a Christian is all about. Maybe, maybe you have questions about that. Maybe you have questions about what it means to be a Christian or how to become a Christian, and you wish you could talk to someone. Well, friend, look, I'm here to talk to you today. After the service, I'd be glad to sit down with you. Let, let's talk. Maybe you want to talk with someone. You want to ask questions of someone. You want to have someone pray with you. Dear friend, don't hesitate. At the end of the service today, talk to me. Nothing is more important than you coming to know Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today, to help you understand Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, listen, I know many of you in the audience today, many of you are Christians. You really have put your wholehearted trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. You do have that, that personal relationship with Jesus. For you, Jesus isn't just a Savior. He's, he's your Savior. And I know many of you have trusted in Christ. Well, Christian, let me just challenge you for a moment. Just a couple days left in this run-up to Christmas. Christian friend, let me just challenge you this Christmas to personalize your Christmas celebration. Friend, don't allow your soul to become tired or to become jaded with Christmas. Dear friend, don't just go through the motions of another Christmas. Christian friend, you need to look back into these nativity verses where the Bible says, you, and you need to add a little comma there, and then you need to add your name. That's what you do. You look back into those nativity narratives and you find where the word you appears and you make a little comma 
and you write your name. You need to personalize those verses so that you will remember that the Savior came, not just for some people, but for you. But for you. For behold, I bring you, Ryan. For behold, I bring you, John. For behold, I bring you, Amy. For behold, I bring you, Bob. Great news of great joy, which is for all people. For unto you, Ryan. For unto you, John. For unto you, Amy. Unto you, Bob, is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Friend, you do you want to wake up your Christmas? Are you tired of just walking through the motions of Christmas? You want to inject some fresh joy into your Christmas? Then, friend, inject your name into Christmas. Put your name in those famous Christmas verses and allow the Holy Spirit to remind you that Jesus the Savior, He knows you, He loves you, and He came for you. Friends, in these messages together, we've been looking at ordinary people. We're looking at blue-collar people. God used them in extraordinary ways to, to bring Jesus into this world, and they played a part in that. We looked at Joseph in part one. We looked at Mary in part two, and now we're in part three. We're looking at these shepherds. They're just blue-collar guys. They were, they were on the night shift. It was a long night of work, and God used them in an amazing way. So there's one more truth we better not miss here. Here's number three if you're taking notes. A third truth that comes to play here. Number three, the shepherds proclaimed the good news of God. Number three, the shepherds proclaimed the good news of God. Would you look with me in our text again, Luke 2, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Friends, just this week I was reading a, a fun article that asked a number of America's celebrities about their favorite Christmas memories. And Julia Roberts, that famous actress, Julia Roberts said this, quote, We always made tons of Christmas cookies. We made a lot of food and a fire, and we had our Christmas tree and friends coming over. So it was always a pretty cozy holiday for us. Another actress, well-known, Sandra Bullock, Sandra Bullock, whose mom was German, said this, quote, We did a very traditional German Christmas. We have sauerkraut with spatzel on Christmas Eve, and then the kids get sent away. Magically, the tree will appear then, decorated with all kinds of treats underneath. You know, friends, if we took a microphone and we passed it around the room today, how many of us would gladly share a story? How many of us would gladly tell one of our favorite Christmas memories. But you know, friends, the sad truth is that while many Christians seem to be happy to share a favorite Christmas story, 
The hard truth is that fewer and fewer Christians are actually talking about Jesus Himself. You know, there's a lot of Christian research groups out today. Uh, two of them are well-known. One's called Lifeway. Another one's called the George Barna Group. And both Lifeway and Barna are reporting some, some, stat, some very sad statistics about who we are. Talking about us, the 21st century Christians, evangelical Christians. The statistics are revealing 21st century evangelical Christians just aren't sharing their faith. One study was done just earlier this year in 2019. 2019 reveals more than 55% of professing Christians who attend church at least once a month, at least 55% of Christians admitted they hadn't shared their faith with even one person in the previous six months. That's the stats. That's the real life of where we are in America today as evangelicals. The sad truth is this. We have so many Christians who are positive about evangelism. We have Christians who even pray about evangelism, but the great majority of Christians aren't practicing evangelism. Christian friend, would you contrast that with these shepherds? Look at these shepherds here in our text. Luke writes in verses 15 and following, they find the baby Jesus there in Bethlehem. Everything is there exactly as the angel told them. And then look at verse 17. It says, the shepherds made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Now that, that translation, it's accurate, but it is a little flat. Made known. I personally like the NIV a little better. The NIV says it this way. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. The New Living Translation gets it right too. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Christian friend, I'm going to challenge you today. I want to challenge you. I want to lay this challenge at your feet this Christmas. When was the last time you spread the word about Jesus Christ, the Savior? Has it been weeks? Has it been months? Christian friend, listen, I'm all about lifestyle evangelism. All right, I'm okay with lifestyle evangelism. That means you and I live Christian lives that are upright and holy, where we love people, uh, where we're generous, and we have a godly testimony out in our communities. But you got to hear me. Listen, loving people, being nice to people, isn't the gospel. That's not the gospel. You being nice to your friend, you being generous or kind to your, to your coworker, you being friendly to those other students across the cafeteria table, you being generous and kind-hearted toward your family member, listen, that is not going to inform them about who Jesus is and what He accomplished and why they should believe on Him by faith. Christian friend, all of us, and I'm speaking to myself, we need to take a hard look in the mirror. And we need to look at our own experience, Christian friend, and ask yourself, has it really been six months? 
Has it been six, six months or more since I talked with someone about Jesus? Friend, what a challenge. These, these are blue-collar, untrained, ordinary shepherds. And yet their evangelistic zeal was unmatched. They heard the news about Jesus. They discovered that it was true. And then they were passionate to share it. Dear friends, just think about who we are as Christians today. Think about what we know on this side of the cross. Think about how much we know today, friends, what we know. Think about all that we know about Jesus, about His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His salvation. Friend, how much more? How much more should you and I be passionate and energized to tell some people about Jesus? Now listen, I'm not Pollyanna about this. I know it's, I know it's hard. These are hard days. It's a challenge today in 21st century America. You and I are representing Jesus in a world that's drowning in secularism, relativism, where everything is equally accepted, and pluralism, where there's 10,000 things to choose from. You and I live in a digital, digital age where, where the things that are debuting on Netflix and Disney Plus, people care more about that than they do about spiritual realities. I know the reality of where we live and in what times we live, but listen, friends, listen, just like the shepherds, we met Jesus. We met Jesus. We've looked into that manger. We know what's going on there. We understand, don't we, that, that Jesus stepped down into this dirty, sin-darkened world, not to point a finger at us, not to condemn us, but to love us, to rescue us from our sins. Friends, this is so amazing. This is such good news. And isn't that what the Bible says it is? It's good news of great joy that will be for all people. So friends, we love Jesus. We will want to tell other people we can't help but open our mouths and tell someone about what Jesus means to us. Friend, can we spread the message of Jesus a little more this Christmas? A little more talking about Jesus in 2020? Dear friend, what a challenge. Well, in this message today on Blue Collar Christmas, we've taken an in-depth way at the amazing work that God did in stepping down to ordinary shepherds. Just ordinary shepherds, man, working on the night shift. And yet God used them in extraordinary ways. They were the very first people on the planet to hear and share the message of Jesus. Friends, isn't that amazing? What a great reminder to us today that when God wants to do a great work in this world, He isn't dependent on the road scholars or the rocket scientists. God doesn't need the power of presidents or prime ministers to do His work. God isn't relying on the influence of the religious elites or other religious leaders. Instead, God often delights in bypassing the rich and the resourceful, and He rejoices in letting ordinary people do extraordinary things for the glory of His name. So believer, will you take that with you today? Will you take that truth to heart? Will you remember, friend, that God can use you? God can use you for His kingdom. Christian, don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. God can work 
wonders through working class people. So dear friend, as you celebrate Christmas Day this week, I hope you'll celebrate Jesus with all your heart. With Jesus, you experience the nearness of God. And through Jesus, you learn the graciousness of God. And because of Jesus, you get to proclaim the good news of great joy to this world. Thanks for listening. This preaching for a change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.